Welcome to the 63rd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We're here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the turning of the year. Things of note from last year and things we kind of expect from the coming year. Whoa, Brendan, is it really 2019 again already? It, Wait, what? It sadly is. We're we're here and it's time to get to get moving on it. So last year when we had this episode, the, the turning of the year episode, we had mentioned that it looked like Kubernetes had kind of taken over and they were winning the, the orchestration container space. And this last uh-huh. year has demonstrated that, oh yes, they have. And they did. We're at the point that anybody who is new, like who, who's moving a new project into a cloud environment or into a Docker environment. And if they asked me what I would recommend, the first thing I'm telling them is Kubernetes. Go dig into that, understand it, learn to know it and love it. Every major cloud provider supports it. Red Hat's OpenStack product now runs Kubernetes effectively under the covers, or you can you can even build your own bespoke one if you wanted to yourself. But that's the way everything is going. So that's where all the tools are. That's where all the shiny new demos are. That's really where you want to be. It really took off last year in in every way. And I still haven't learned it. There you go. Yeah, it, it's on my list of things still. I found a tool linked off Hacker News a little while ago called Tilt, and it's supposedly a way for developers to kind of test things in the Kubernetes style, but I haven't had a chance to really dig into it deeply. I'll throw a link in the show notes. We may do an episode on it later in the year or on tools like this, but I haven't gotten quite that far yet. And we did an episode a while back about a inexpensive way to set up Kubernetes for for personal project stuff, which was really interesting. That will also be in the show notes. I sadly so, never got... Yeah, Kubernetes. Here we go, folks. And as we head into 2019, I think it's only going to continue to grow. Absolutely. Who runs VMs nowadays? VMs are those old dodgy people. I also went to Amazon's reInvent conference this fall in Las Vegas, and it was interesting having lunch with 70,000 of your closest friends. But my takeaway from Amazon this year was that they're pushing machine learning really hard. They're they're trying to position themselves as the first and best place to go for, hey, a BI or a, a dev or somebody wants easy access to machine learning pipeline to build and test jobs and do those things. And it's all kind of push button. I think SageMaker is the name of the, the suite of products. And it looks really tempting. I don't do anything in that particular space at the moment. The the visibility tools and operation operational visibility tools and engineering tools that I I generally rely on don't lend themselves at this point to machine learning or not yet, and I'm waiting for that to, that to take over because it's it's going to change. It's going to come to us at some point. Yeah, I and think machine learning will take over our space whether we want to or not. Yeah, so we we need to be ready for that one. It's it's coming down the pike, and Amazon isn't the only person that's really trying to get behind that bandwagon uh, before it leaves the station. If I could mix my metaphors. So what else do we talk about last year that we should revisit? Our last big episode was about immutability and the the turning of the tides to using immutable style jobs and container images, which lead to K8, which is all wrapped up in that in that same conversation. And as these themes continue to grow. I still want to remind people that everything looks easy and hunky-dory 
But remember to sit down and plan out exactly how your infrastructure pieces together and what pieces are requirements, where your data is stored, rather than than running to K8 as the solution for everything. Kind of know why you're picking up the tool before you reach for it. Just know why you need a hammer before you start whacking things. That that might need a screw or, gosh, a Torx bit. Sometimes you do need a good Torx set. Speaking of, um, one of the things that I see kind of coming, and this is, I'm putting on my, my Karnak the Magnificent hat, but one of the things I see coming for us is a lot of disappointment from a lot of different people that I know with their current workstation tooling, and that primarily being macOS on MacBook Pros. And people are not happy. Even I have seen this in forums that that do not talk about Mac-related things. Um, this is really starting to spread. And I dare say that that part of Apple's recent market downturns and lack of selling, I think is related to this. Not just that uh, China's market is starting to downturn, which is definitely happening, but Apple's doing a less well at catering to the folks that, that buy their stuff, that require their stuff. When I first started um, working with startups and other companies in San Francisco, um, I really saw the utility in, you know, you sign on to your new employer, they issue you a MacBook Pro, and off you go. It just worked. And now the my MacBook Pros are four years old. The current options are really kind of questionable. And they're questionable in things, simple things like the keyboard. How do you make a laptop with a keyboard over so many generations that is so reviled by so many people? The keyboard's terrible on the new laptops. Not to mention the failure rates and all the other things. But also the the just sort of the, the quality, the fit and finish of macOS for doing the work that we do. And it's not that we need crazy tools. We need, you know, web browsers and text editors and chat clients and we're not doing crazy stuff, but it's getting really tiring not to have real package management. A real package manager on the OS that actually understands what it's doing. And so you're relying on things like homebrew or other external parties and they never work quite right. And they're never quite as good as they need to be. And it makes me go, Hey, if I was running Linux on my machine, I could just install the tools that I need, the actual tools and not the ones that people have patched around and tried to figure out how to make it work on a Mac, but the actual tools and just use them. And if I, mean, I was running Linux, I could just pop the cover and slap in a 32 gig of RAM. Well, there's that too. Of the All hey, I want for Christmas is 32 gigs of RAM. Or replace a power supply or replace a hard drive or replace whatever it is. Because, yes, we are going into a vanishing you know, end of the wedge here in terms of what what people in general buy computers for. Our needs are rather specialized. But it also means that Apple is has a more important job to do there of meeting our needs and they haven't been. So I'm hoping they turn it around because I don't I don't miss the days of and I having... think this is important because it's people like us that develop the next technologies or keep today's technologies running. If we don't have 
a workhorse computer that satisfies our needs, how is the next generation of products from Apple or Google or whoever going to be successful? Even if they do run on a Chromebook. Yeah, it's going to be... And I do like Chromebooks. I, I tell my parents to use them. Gasp. No, Chromebooks are great. I just, there are a few things that I need local horsepower for. And the Chromebooks don't have it. If they did, I would probably seriously, seriously look at switching. Anyway, so there is that. And we mentioned a minute ago the uh, Apple stock stuff, which is obviously in the news. And we, we try not to be timely on this show in that sense because things move too quickly. But this episode is different. Um, but it, it points out the economic uncertainty that's going on right now with the China market and the kind of the slowing of the economy and a bunch of things that may be happening or not. And it reminds me that we occasionally try to give advice to people who are coming up in this career and people who are kind of starting their path down either operations or DevOps or whatever, whatever the buzzword is these weeks. And the advice that I have for everybody, old and new alike, is every six months, every year, some period of time, pick a schedule, pick a thing, maybe it's January 1st, get out your resume look it over, make sure it's up to date, even if, and especially if you don't want to change jobs, it's just, it's good to have an idea of what you're doing and what you, what your projects are, what your accomplishments are, what your worth is to yourself, what to your, your employer career is exactly. If you notice, if you're noticing trends about things that are happening, it's like, why is that not, not on my resume? Why do I not have a, a reference to that somewhere in here? Why have I not done that yet? It gives you a really nice way to kind of self check to make sure that you have been doing the time to take care of your career because the only person taking care of your career is you is you and keep it up to date. I love my job. I have no intention of leaving my job. I've been here many years and every six months or so I still just bring up my resume, kind of dust it off, make sure that I have the current numbers and stats of things and the current projects I've been working on to make sure that if somebody does come asking, I can look at them honestly and say, no, that's not interesting because I'm already doing all these other things. Or if they point something out to me, I can go, hang on, am I really not doing that? And it, it gives me a really nice way to, to kind of gut check myself. So one of the predictions I made last year was related to a blog post I had made about being able to to control the aspects of change throughout your, your organization as more and more things change, we tend to end up with a compounding effect of more and more things to manage. So we get to a point where how do you build a platform that enables rapid change, rapid innovation, yet maintains a stable platform that will power your company into the future, rather than having all aspects of your computing infrastructure go through rapid change and deal with the support issues, the bugs, and the failures that result from that. And I definitely have a soft spot for a free BSD. And my predictions were totally wrong. <laughs> what happens? And maybe they were supposed to be. Um, but I still think there's an aspect of that. Uh, K8 plays into that at some at some point, abstracting the the whole idea of a VM or a server away from the simple job that you're running. 
or even what distribution to Linux or whatever OS you're running underneath is. I remember when distributions were cool. And they were important. And you had a lot of capabilities or things that changed based on your decision early on about what distribution you were going to be supporting within your organization. You know, if you're, Are you a CentOS shop? Are you a Red Hat shop? Are you, are you doing Debian? Are you doing whatever it is? It, it guided you down different paths based on your distribution. But with Docker and Kubernetes, you don't know or care your distribution. I have a soft spot for BSD, I'll, I admit it. And it, it definitely comes from when I started cutting my teeth in this field. And some things have always been there and always been the same. And as much as we enjoy things that are stable and don't change, that's the nature of this very field. And sometimes we jump on the wrong bandwagon and need to figure out how do we get on the right one. And it's easy, personally, professionally perhaps, that gets more difficult as you start to work with a organization or or a larger organization. And how do you how do you write the ship after it's left the harbor and in the middle of a hurricane? Yeah, it can be really difficult for somebody or a group of people to say, hey, we've made a bunch of technical decisions about, you know, a platform or an application or whatever it is they're they're working on and go, oh, maybe maybe we shouldn't have done it that way. Maybe maybe there was a better way to approach this problem. And then even if you acknowledge that, then turning everything around and saying, okay, we're going to replumb everything. We're going to go back in and find all the hooks that talk to things in, the, in that specific way and change them. That is a lot of work and you have That's to really be steeled for doing it because if you don't have the stomach for it, you're just going to run two systems forever or and three. It's not or fun ten. work either. Oh no, it's, it's, it's the worst part of this job. And I guess that's sort of a theme of our podcast is is making people aware of decisions that might lead down those paths and how to avoid that if possible. I mean, like when we were in the visibility space, when we were looking at Prometheus initially, it was it seemed to be kind of magical and wonderful and doing all kinds of really great things. And there was some hand waving about high availability. And oh, just just run two of them. And I think you can speak to this better than I can, but as we get farther down that path, it's like, well, running two independent ones really isn't great in a whole bunch of situations. And now there's a bunch of projects that have spun up about, so how do we get persistent storage? How do we get long-term federated Prometheus storage? Not not just operational metrics, but stuff for the business, the business folks. Like, how do we do this? And it's interesting watching the metrics field, the metrics and monitoring field that's based very much around a graphite ecosystem, try to shift uh, toward Prometheus. And graphite is based on streaming data from point A to point B. There's not a lot of of Kafka-like semantics. There should be. Um, But that's something with graphite that's relatively doable. In Prometheus land, there's much more data a lot of it's much more ephemeral. And without without proper semantics, streaming data from point A to point B from your Prometheus system into a commercial long-term storage and whatever system doesn't always work well. And so today we're starting to see a 
resurgence of new open source projects like Thanos that attempt to to add these features to Prometheus long-term storage? Um, how do you deal consistently with the data that Prometheus generates? And we're starting to see third-party companies try to to integrate with that and build up their feature sets around this new way of thinking about metrics and monitoring. So Thanos is an open source um, solution that's pretty much one of a kind. We'll stick a, a link to the Thanos introduction blog article um, in the show notes. There are a couple of companies, no doubt um, Cortex, that has also taken Thanos and added it to its suite of services that they they offer as they offer Prometheus as a platform. And I, that's what I expect to really see grow and excel in this next year, is the use of Thanos to uh, build clusters of Prometheus systems that are reliable, that store data for years, uh, that can build effective queries amongst years of data with much more and much more ephemeral data than we've ever had before. And it'll be interesting to see if machine learning comes into that as well. I don't think that's as close around the corner as, as others might. Um, but that's where I'm looking forward. And there's also a big overlap with all of these pieces and the Cloud Native Computing Foundation that has been a sponsor of a lot of the more interesting new technologies and tools that people are using. Like the, the Envoy Proxy, I think, came out of LinkedIn or Facebook or one of the, the large giants, but CNCF picked it up as a project that they are kind of shepherding and doing code reviews on, and they are now... And cloud providers like Google are even integrating Envoy into their base-level services. Because it's really cool. It's got so some Envoy awesome is service mesh uh, discovery? Who wants to give a good definition, Brendan? So I don't have a good working definition of Envoy. I am almost certain that we're going to do an episode on it later this year because it solves a bunch of problems that have been around for a long time, but it solves them in kind of a new and apparently very clever way. And I want to see how how much of it is clever versus how much of it is just using the practicalities of the cloud itself and, and the way that things are, are changing and shifting to make a better widget. So I'm really looking forward to digging into that. And service discovery is kind of the data center approach to how do I find my machines. And that's... Definitely a little different when you're talking about a dynamic cloud environment. And these are problems that Envoy attempts to solve. And it's it's worth an episode. Oh, yeah. And there's also a bunch of other CNCF projects that are in either early stages or what I think they call them incubation that are worth looking at. And I think actually Cortex and some of the other um, Prometheus Federation services, long-term storage services, are in the incubator rather than being you know, considered finished products or graduated projects or whatever, whatever their terminology is. And if you're familiar with Grafana, uh, they're hawking uh, their new product, Loki, as part of the CNCF, uh, which is an attempt at a log aggregation service, although it's vastly different than, than what you might be familiar with when doing log aggregation with Elk. Yeah, I took a quick look at Loki, and in my very brief reading, admittedly, it didn't appear to do 
full text log retention. So you couldn't go and find the log event that happened. You had to, you only get aggregations off of it, which for some things is great. You can, you can shave off a whole lot of data in terms of volume and you can go th much faster on certain things, but it also means you don't have the event record. And one of the guiding principles of logs versus or events versus metrics is you have the event. So you can look it up again and you can see what happened. Whereas the metric is just metadata and by being just metadata, it's a lot faster and it's a lot easier to do computation on and it's a lot cheaper. So I'm not sure where Loki fits in and either I'm not getting it or they're not getting it. And I would bet against me at this point on this one. So we will probably do an episode on Loki as well. I can definitely predict that in the future we'll continue to argue about monorepos. <laughs> I saw an argument in my inbox today. Monorepos are horrible. You should never use them. Why? You should always use monorepos. And I think that's something that we've wanted to do an episode about for a while. Yeah, there's a cultural thing there. And again, depending on the people in the organization, monorepos can be great and they can be terrible. And there's a lot of technical ramifications with a good monorepo as well. There is the the applications and services that that are the revenue generating aspects of your company that what you, your user facing services. There's also probably a lot of back end operational stuff that's not written in the same languages or written in a smattering of different languages um, that act very differently from from your standard code that you'd like to to build your your monolith services or your uh, SOA style services in. And that leads to a lot of complication using monorepos. Complete agreement. <laughs> and, you know, perhaps our future episode will, will elucidate how you get out of that little pickle. Yeah, I would also kind of like this year to revisit some of our, our older episodes in terms of like building versus buying. When do you make the transition from, okay, we've been outsourcing some aspect of things, but we've gotten big enough that either the cost has gotten too large or it's gotten too important. So we're going to bring it in house. We're going to build up talent internally to run an open source project. And then again, what's the inflection point when you say, okay, we're now running it so large or so big or so well that we need to start investing time to make, to either shape the direction of this product or write our own because it's not meeting our needs. Like I'm thinking about like tw when Twitter wrote, wrote the Manhattan stack, they were doing it because nothing else could handle the, the questions they were trying to ask. And so they, they wrote a very specific service that would handle exactly what their needs were. And with something like elk, when you're running elk very large, there comes a point where your, your use case of it, you're not using most of the different things it can do. You're, you're only using a small subset of the features. And at what point is it a good decision to say, you know, we're going to move into doing our own thing. I kind of want to do an episode of hashing out where that goes. And there's a lot of prior art from the metric side of the house because basically every big company that's a household name has written their own in-house metrics and monitoring platform. Those have definitely, those get real important really fast and you come to a, a point in company growth and asset management where that data is is very difficult to manage with with your out of the box tools 
But unfortunately, a lot of those those tools that they write are very specific to their needs, again, because they're doing something at their scale. So like, I think the Netflix metrics platform was called Atlas. Yes. And it was amazing, but it was all in memory. And it was very, very built to exactly how Netflix uses the data. And if you if somebody else is trying to use it that works on a smaller scale, a lot of the decisions that they made setting up Atlas just don't make sense for anybody else. So you have to be really careful when you're looking at the prior art. But then again, you get things like the Gorilla Paper out of Facebook, which really changed the way a lot of the which open source... Which has revolutionized how we store metrics on disk now. Oh, yeah. It, it changed everything for the open source projects. Within 18 months of that paper coming out, everybody either had implemented it or was seriously looking at changing the way they wrote their metrics out because it was such a colossal savings of space. So yeah, I, I want to do an episode or two on that um, in the coming year. And this would be the time, listeners, if you have things you want us to talk about, if you have ideas for episodes or things you wish we, you think we're we're beating a dead horse too much, let us know. We're more than happy to take the podcast in directions that you want us to go. If you work for a company that does interesting things in any of these spaces, in the operations space, the DevOps space, the monitoring metrics space, whatever it is, and you wanted to come on the podcast and talk to us about why you guys have an amazing solution for something, even if you're not selling a solution, you're you're just working on it as an ancillary part of the the service, we would love to have you on as a guest to kind of chat about the hows and the whys of why you're building, why you're doing, why you're making the decisions that you're making with your direction in the cloud or your direction in writing tools or whatever it is. I definitely think our sort of last point of where we as a as a podcast, as a couple guys on the internet want to be this year involves getting to know our users, our our listeners better and involves hearing from our listeners. So if you listen, drop us a line. Let us know what you think, what suggestions you might have. If you assuming you work at a technical company or have some friends, if you're listening to this podcast that are interested in the same thing, let them know about our podcast. Uh, Talk about us on Twitter a bit. It's the best way we can uh, for other people to find us and for us to get the word out. Um, But we're really excited about and looking forward to uh, getting some feedback from our listeners and being able to do some shows based on, on what your questions are. And if you're an old stick in the mud, you can even send us an email. Uh, feedback at operations.fm routes to us, and we read all the stuff that comes in, and we would love to start a dialogue there too. I think that about wraps it up for the 63rd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night.